Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hi, hello, everyone. Happy Labor Day if you're listening live in the U.S. And also, if you're listening live, this is our first Book Lights on the other coast over here in Florida. I made it. Um, (laughs) So... Thank you so much for tuning in, and today we have author Brad Parks on. He's a thriller writer. I can't wait for you to meet him, and if you haven't read his books yet, I will read his bio so you'll get to know him a little better. International best-selling author Brad Parks is the only writer to have won the Seamus, the Nero, and the Lefty Awards, three three of America's crime fiction's most prestigious prizes. His novels have been published in 15 languages and have won critical acclaim across the globe, including stars from every major pre-publication review outlet. He's a graduate of Dartmouth College and Parks is a former journalist with the Washington Post and the Star-Ledger in Newark, New Jersey. He is now a full-time novelist living in Virginia with his wife and two school-aged children, so you know they're probably doing distance learning fun times, a former college a cappella singer and community theater enthusiast. Brad has been known to burst into song when no one was thoughtful enough to muzzle him. His favorite writing haunt is a Hardee's restaurant where good-natured staff members suffer his presence for many hours a day and where he can often be found working on his next novel. And I did put a link to Brad's website right there on the Blog Talk site. So if you're listening live, go ahead and click that anytime. You can sign up for his newsletter. And he's got a fantastic blog over there, too, that I was poking through. So go give it a look. And without any further delay, you there, Brad? I am here, Lisa. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm great. It's so great to talk to you. And I'm over on your coast now in the East Coast time zone, so it feels very weird for me. <laughs> I'm Welcome to it. In and, and just remember, in San Diego. <laughs> yeah, remember who the TV networks like better. They 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 really do That's make right. everything revolve around us. Just don't so uh, don't forget that. <laughs> and and uh, and it's great to talk to you on Labor Day. Although I must tell you, it is not at all a labor to talk to you. I always love to talk oh, about books. Oh, thank you. Did you, did right, you like that? That was talking about books. We, we, we got to stay topical, so too. Like we're, we're very timely. It's all good. <laughs> yes, and you have a brand new book out, Interference, and you want to tell the readers who are listening about it and why they should go grab it today? Well, why they should go grab it, as you mentioned, I have two school-aged children, and they won't eat unless enough people buy the book. Um, sorry, was that was that too crassly commercial? But um, uh, in terms of what the book is about, perhaps a little more on topic, um, it is the the what if of this is what if we could use quantum physics to find a missing person. So the story features Bridget Bronick. Uh, she is a librarian. Uh, who has uh, hearing loss, actually, kind of a, an unusual thriller character for sure. Her husband is a physics professor who has been prodding the mysteries of the quantum universe. And he goes missing, and suddenly Bridget comes to realize that the the very physics that he has been uh, playing with may actually be the way she's going to be able to save him. Uh, so ultimately, it's a, it's a great kind of... Um, rescue kind of slash whodunit slash science thriller that uh, throws a whole lot of 
family and a whole lot of relationship stuff, but then also a lot of, you know, thrilling chases and stuff blowing up. So uh, hopefully it's a book uh, with a little something for everyone. That is so cool. And I don't remember in reading your bio, I don't remember seeing any science background. What made you decide (laughs) to check quantum physics? (laughs) That sounds like a lot of research. (laughs) You mentioned that I I used to be a journalist. Uh, One of my favorite cartoons shows a a journalist holding a dart, and he's about to throw it at a dartboard. And the dartboard says, today I'm an expert at, you know, so I I think being a journalist – it gives you a lot of practice at, at pretending to be an expert at something. Uh, but, but more than anything, I, I've just, I've always kind of been a nerd. Uh, at least if you haven't figured that out yet from talking to me, you will by the end of this half hour, I assure you. And, uh, you know, part of being a nerd, like I was actually never really good at the doing of science, but I always loved the ideas of the science, and, and I loved the stories that, that you could tell with science. So uh, in, with physics in particular, I, I've, I've sort of long been fascinated with how humanity has chosen to describe its physical world and how it makes sense of that world. So I've always kind of uh, been an, an amateur uh, physicist, uh, you know, I, reading books about string theory that I never really understood, uh, trying to wrap my mind about uh, around quantum physics, which is, you know, such a baffling area. Um, but I've always, uh, you know, it, it's always been an, int- an interest of mine. Um, so for me, writing a book that has physics as kind of a central character was, um, it was, it was fun. It was challenging. Um, you know, but ultimately I always approach it from the perspective of a lay person. And so even as I started kind of gathering, uh, you know, maybe slightly beyond a, a typical lay person's knowledge, I was always kind of in touch with that lay person, right? Of like, okay, how do I describe this to say my mother who knows nothing about physics? Or, you know, how do I describe this to someone who um, was maybe asleep in their high school physics class? Um, Because that might've been me once or twice too, Lisa. Uh, But, uh, you know, so hopefully, although the, the concepts at times are very heady, they are explained in ways that really just about anyone can follow uh, with real ease. That is so cool. And I have to ask, because I I was a huge Dean Koontz reader, um, and he wrote From the Corner of His Eye, which had quantum physics. And I did not know that from reading the blurb. And I thought, once I started reading the book, I thought, oh, this is going to be too hard for me. But it was actually became one of my favorite books of his. I, I don't know if you ever read it, but it was I have not. I have not read that one, but another... I'm, I'm writing it down right now, though, because I, I, I want yeah, to check it out. Yeah, from the corner of his eye. Yeah. Oh, it was really fantastic. But, but it was that same idea of going through, you know, quantum physics to find a different you know, a different reality. And, and um, so anyway, I'm just wondering if you, when you were coming up with this idea, had you seen, you know, did you see something? Did you read something? What made you decide, I bet you could find a missing person using quantum physics? So I had, because I'm a nerd, I had approached the possibility of writing a physics book a number of different times over the course of my career as an author. I've been, I've been doing this for 10, 11 years now. And I could actually go back and look at my notes and be like, oh, that's right. I, I tried to write a physics book in 2012 and I failed. Oh, and then I tried again in 2014 <laughs> and then I failed. Um, but, you know, because each time what I was trying to do, I think, was I, I was trying to fit my book to the science 
And then one day, long about 2018, as I was contemplating my next novel, I, I once again wanted to approach this physics thing, and I, and I suddenly got the blinding flash of inspiration. No, 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 don't fit your book to the science. Fit the science to your book, right? Like decide what you want this book to be and then decide what science works with that. So I was probably, it was probably about 15 minutes after I had that bit of inspiration uh, that I finally went, okay, so a physics professor goes missing, and it, it just so happens, now, now we're going to get deep here, Lisa, but there's a concept <laughs> called quantum entanglement, all right? Now, okay, now I know mm -hmm. that the social science majors are all, their eyes are starting to glaze and everything like that, but um, entanglement <laughs> is one of the, one of the really fun aspects of quantum physics because what it says is every now and then two particles can be born entangled and when that hap happens you can separate them by any distance and they somehow maintain this connection to each other that we don't fully understand basically you can kind of tickle one like so you you measure the spin of one and you find out the spin of one is up other one immediately becomes down and this coordination oh. that we see yeah, it's crazy. It happens over any distance. So you can take these two entangled particles, put them on opposite sides of the universe, and it still happens instantaneously. And no one has a clue how they do it. Um, Einstein actually thought this was just crazy, you know, because to Einstein, the speed of light was the ultimate speed limit of the universe, right? Nothing could happen faster than the speed of light. And yet this coordination between entangled particles happens instantaneously, regardless of distance, right? So Einstein called it um, spooky action at a distance. He didn't believe entanglement existed at all. He actually thought that the, the fact that the, the equations of quantum physics required entanglement to work meant that all of quantum physics was broken. Right, that that we we just gone down a wrong turn, and this quantum physics thing was just never going to work out. Well, funny thing happened. Um, Einstein has been proven wrong. We have demonstrated entanglement in laboratories now many times uh, to an astonishing degree of accuracy. Uh, the the Chinese have launched satellites to help do this. And, uh, and, and we've actually, so when we first started proving this, there were kind of a number of loopholes where we were sure, we weren't quite sure, okay, well, maybe this could explain this weird thing, or maybe that could explain this weird thing. And as the years went along, we closed down one loophole after another, until we were finally left with just one loophole. It was called the freedom of choice loophole. And it was the notion that, well, maybe, okay, so the physicists who are studying, say, the spin of these, uh, of these particles, maybe they're making some kind of choice that is inadvertently affecting how this experiment comes out, right? And so what a group right. of scientists did is they said, okay, we are going to absolutely remove any possibility that the scientists are somehow, you know, kind of putting their, their finger on the scale here. Anytime that we are going to have a choice made in this experiment, we are going to have it made by distant quasars. So they, they, they pointed a telescope toward one quasar that was 12 billion light years away, and then another quasar that was 8 billion light years away. So in other words, the light that was coming to these scientists was 12 billion years old, and it started its journey toward Earth before there were scientists, before there was an Earth, right? And so they figured this, this would eliminate the notion that, that in any way these scientists' whims, hopes, or desires could be impacting this experiment, right? And so we, they would, if, if there was like, if the, if the light from the quasar was slightly this color, okay, that would be that, if it was like that color. Anyway, they studied this all again. They put 
entanglement through the test. And it turns out, once again, Einstein was wrong. Entanglement is real. It actually exists. We've closed all the loopholes. And it turns out one of the scientists who was doing that experiment with these billion-year-old quasars was a college friend of mine. He sang in my college a cappella group. Um, and so his name is Dave Kaiser. Yeah, I know. It's great. A little serendipity doesn't hurt. So his name is Dave Kaiser, and he's now a professor at MIT. And so I'd always kind of like followed Dave's career. So as I was sitting there going, okay, how do I make this science you know, work for me? Uh, that was earlier in 2018 when they finally closed the freedom of choice loophole, and I was midway through 2018. And I was going, oh, yeah, there was that weird experiment Dave did. And that kind of launched me into quantum entanglement. And, and I thought, like, this is a really cool thing for a mystery author because, you know, okay, so it, when we talk about entangled particles, maybe that's a little hard for people to understand. But, like, Lisa, haven't you ever felt entangled with someone? You know, like where like if, if people talk about twin sense or they talk about, God, my, my best friend had this horrible thing happen to her. And immediately I knew it even before she called me to tell me I knew something bad had happened. I mean, don't we get those feelings now and then? And, right. you know, mm-hmm. what if you know, what if that is entanglement? So the, the what if of this, again, is like what if two brains could become entangled? And because those brains are entangled, we could use one person to find another person because they had become entangled with each other. I told you wow. I was a nerd, Lisa, and I, I think I'm proving it yeah. now. Did, no, I, I'm did so I geek impressed. out enough with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, and while you were talking about that, I, I wrote down on my notepad, I wrote down twins. That I wonder if yeah. that's how twins get that, you know, that sense where they can be on opposite sides of the country and they know if one is sick or they know, you know, and I wonder if that has anything to do with it. That's amazing. Well, and we've actually started to find entanglement uh, in other animals, um, and, it, and it's all kind of a suggestion at this point because we don't really understand how a lot of this stuff works. But, like, um, how do you think salmon find the stream where they were born and return five years later to spawn in that same stream? We think entanglement might have something to do with it. How do birds navigate unerringly 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 kilometers on a migration? We think it might be entangled yeah. electron pairs in their eyes. I mean, there's, you know, there's all sorts of really goofy, fun stuff that we're just really starting to discover. And you know, one of the things that fascinates me about physics is you know, the, both the wrong ideas and the right ideas and how they held sway over a certain time. And can you believe in the 1890s they used to think that, right? And, oh, isn't that funny? But, you know, there will be people looking back at us in 2020 saying, can you believe they thought that? And we're just starting to figure out some of these things that we thought were wrong or right or whatever, you know, are in fact something else. And, you know, the, the way science evolves and, it, and it's continually kind of correcting itself and, and changing its story, if you will. Um, it's just, it's just something I just find endlessly fascinating about it. Like this, this very human desire to tell stories about our world and and to get those stories right. I just, I can never get enough. Well, and I think too, what you're talking about with that entanglement, maybe we've been calling it instinct all this time, Mm, but maybe, you know, maybe it's actually a little more scientific than that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, and the the beautiful thing about quantum physics, and you know, there are other aspects of quantum physics besides entanglement, and they're all goofy, right? They're all stuff that you, right. you can't get your brain around, you know, like a quantum leap, 
right? Like they talk, so when, mm. when we were first starting to figure out the quantum world, one of the mistakes we made actually was thinking that the quantum world was like the big world, but just smaller, right? Because most of, most of what we talk about when quantum physics is, is stuff that's incredibly, incredibly small. Like you cannot see Stop it. it. Right. Um, so like, it, you know, the, the, when we talk about classical physics, that's like the, the physics of Newton or of Einstein, where, you know, the apple is falling from the tree and here's gravity or, you know, the, the, the planets are going around the sun and we can, you know, calculate their orbit and everything like that. And so when people first started talking about like, okay, electrons are orbiting around uh, the nucleus of the atom, just like Mercury is, you know, orbiting around the sun. Well, n no, that's not it at all. Unless, of course, you have in the quantum world, Mercury can suddenly go boom, get a zap of energy and suddenly it's, it's orbiting out by Earth. And yet there is no... <laughs> path there like it leaves no footprints behind it just goes one second it's on mercury's orbit bang the next second is on it's on earth's orbit and we have no idea how it does it you know so it's just it's you know from a fiction writing standpoint when you have something kind of that bizarre and that wonderful and that you know it just it, it evokes the imagination and gosh that's that's a lot of what we're trying to do as fiction writers isn't it for sure and i was going to ask you too i um, when I back back before the plague, when you used to be able to teach writing workshops, um, whenever I would have a journalist in the workshop, the hardest thing they would struggle with was when they write fiction, they get to be God. It doesn't have to be yeah. exact, you know, fact. Did you struggle with that in the beginning? Because yeah, you're oh tying gosh. everything yeah, all to the science. Time. I mean, did you struggle with? Oh, I get to do this because <laughs> because I'm in charge. Well, yes, because. You know, the, the journalist has had beaten into us, like, if we make something up, we'll get fired. Like, that's it. And now, right, like, as a novelist, right. like, okay, so wait, if I don't make stuff up, I might get sued. Huh. Okay, that's different. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, you know, it's an evolution. Like, you know, and, and I've certainly seen it in my own career. This is my 10th novel, Interference. You know, my first six novels were, okay, wait for it, Lisa, an investigative newspaper reporter who worked for a newspaper in Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> And I was an there investigative newspaper reporter who worked for, you know, so like I was clearly, you know, uh, you were really hesitant. What you know. to, yes, but I, I was I was not exactly putting a, any huge leaps of faith into the fiction aspect. Yeah, I was, it was basically kind of a, a Romana Clef and, and taking this world that I knew intimately and, and bringing it to, a, you know, making some stuff up. Yeah, but I think what's happened as I have evolved as a writer, um, I've just I've become more comfortable with making stuff up with that kind of, I, I almost think of it like reverting to a childlike state, right? Where like, mm -hmm. if you want to get some, so you, you say you, um, you, you, you teach writing uh, seminars and whatnot. I don't know if you've ever like say tried to brainstorm a novel with like a bunch of 12 year olds, you mm -hmm. will get some batty stuff, like just some off the wall, crazy, wonderful stuff right and and i think there's right. a there's a part of us that like when as we become adults we tune that voice out right because we know well that's not right. appropriate that's not okay that's not, not realistic. so for me it's, yeah. it's not realistic it's for me it's been almost a process of like trying to get back in touch with that inner 12 year old right and like mm -hmm. yeah dreaming big and thinking about crazy stuff um and then i you know and i think also it's a it's a muscle that you develop of like 
inhabiting the fictional world you're creating for your characters, right? Um, and I don't know about you, but that's, that's kind of like it all comes from character for me. You know, like I am constantly putting my characters into a scene and saying, okay, I feel like I know this person. I understand how they think. I, I can close my eyes. I can see them. I can hear them. And how are they going to react when I put them in this situation? And kind of like just dig as deep into that as you can. Um, and that more than anything kind of tells me, you know, what I should be doing. Um, so in, in, in that way, there's actually a, a little bit of a, a hearkening back to the journalist training because I feel like I'm always asking myself or always asking my characters questions, right? Like, okay, so Bridget Bronick is yes. the, uh, the hero of, of interference. It's like, Bridget, what would you do in this case, right? So it's almost like interviewing them. Um, and then yeah. because I know Bridget, I'm then also supplying the answers, um, which is really – it's really nice from at least one aspect – when I was a journalist, I used to have to wait forever to people for people to call me back. Right now, I don't have to wait anymore. I can just I can summon the characters. I can ask them questions. They have to return my phone calls. It's very nice that way. Um, but but yeah, the, you know, it's been it's been a journey. Phone calls is bad. Right. Um, uh, yeah. Well, hey, that happens too sometimes. Let's not talk about those days That's where you true. feel like the characters just aren't talking to me. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know how I offended them. They're not talking to me anymore. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been a journey. Where you're of. like, wow, dishes aren't going to wash themselves. I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> Very true. So are you, uh, it sounds like to me, I, I'm not a big plotter. I, I basically mm. know the beginning and the end and how I'm going to get there. How I'm going to get there. I don't know because I'm constantly asking the characters questions as we go through. And I'm always asking myself, how can I make this worse? Um, so do you plot or do you just, you know, go where the characters take you or combo both? What's your process like? So I lay everything out on a big uh, cork board, and I, I put plot twists in red stickies. Uh, I put reversals in blue stickies. I, I put surprises in yellow stickies, and then I start connecting them with different colored string. But then I start to realize, oh, that's right, I'm actually colorblind. So I just throw it all out and, yeah, go by the seat of my pants. Um, no, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I am, I'm in no way, shape or form. I, like I've actually tried plotting a novel. I did it once, right? It, it was a, it was a thriller where, you know, I kind of had three different storylines that kind of all had to arrive in the same place at the same time. And I was just like, okay, if I'm going to get the trains coming into the station at the right moment, I need to plot everything out. And I did, I wrote like an 18,000 word outline. Right. Oh. And it, it just took the joy out of writing for me. Right. It was, you know, in the same way mm -hmm. that like paint by numbers isn't art for me, right. writing from an outline is not art. It's like because I would just wake up every day and be like, OK, now I have to write the scene where X happens versus, you know, when you wake up and you say, I think I'm going to write the scene where X happens. But then you get into the scene and you huh. realize, oh, no, 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 it's not that at all. And, but, you know, and those are exciting. They would days, never allow you know? that to happen. <laughs> exactly. And, and like, you know, when your characters yeah. surprise you, I love those days the or when they, you yeah. know, like, cause yeah, like when they think of something that you'd never thought of when you're like, oh my God, because you know, if you're surprised and delighted, your reader is going to be surprised and delighted too. Um, so that's, I mean, exactly. it, and look, everybody has their own thing, you know, like uh, right. Jeff, Jeffrey Deaver, who's a, a wonderful writer and, and I've, I've gotten to know him over the years. Jeff writes 180 page outlines. And I'm like, Ow. Jeff, 
add the button and and your 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 book's basically done but but that's his process you know like and he he right. spends like eight months of the year working on that outline and then about six weeks actually writing the book you know and that's right hey god bless him that's what works for him it just doesn't it doesn't get me there. You know, it just doesn't. It, uh, right, right. Uh, I, I gotta, yeah, for me, if I get too much, if I know too much in advance, it turns into a term yeah. paper and I never finish it. So I, I, can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't write that way either. You know, but the other thing but is, I do know people who do. Right. I find I, um, I suck at lying. Like I'm really not good at lying. I don't, I don't like, I'm serious. I don't like lying to the reader. Uh, so like in the, in the book before this one, the last act, uh, it, there was a twist that I figured out, you know, if that's a hundred thousand word book, I figured out this twist in about word 95,000, right? Like really, really late. And it involved the character right. that had I known about this twist while I was writing those first 95,000 words, I probably would have written them differently. Right. But I didn't, I didn't know. And so, like, I, you know, could kind of go back and be like, yeah, I, I, you know, I wrote this character the way I thought the character was. But then, you know, so the, the, I was utterly shocked by the turn, and then the readers are shocked, too. So, I don't know. It just, uh, yeah, it works for us, right? No, I, exactly, yes. That, that's a good process for me. <laughs> So what was your writing, your fiction writing journey like? I mean, you you did journalism, you got your degree, mm -hmm. and you wrote for the Washington Post. What made you go, hey, I want to be a starving artist and write fiction? <laughs> <laughs> well, so Lisa, I don't know if you've heard how newspaper economics are doing these days, but it's oh, not well, that's good. that's true. You could be a starving reporter too, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, and it was also, I mean, you know, I, I, I support myself and my family with my writing, you know, and I always have. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was, uh, I graduated college in 1996, which was probably the last possible moment a young person could graduate from college and think, you know what, newspapers are going to be a good, steady thing that is going to get me through to age 65 in retirement, right? Like you could actually think that in 1996, because, right. you know, the internet was only kind of a rumor and, and you know, and every town had like we a paper that was basically... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, every newspaper was like a license to print money. So, like, this is a good thing, you know, um, you know. But by within ten years, that was just not the case anymore. Um, and so, you know, my wife and I were kind of confronting. This is along about 2007 or so, uh, and, and into 2008, uh, we were just starting a family. And you know, the reality was, I could look and say, okay, you know what, this thing is not going to get me through to happy retirement. You know, it's just not. Right. And um, and furthermore, like I was I was betting that I would lose my job in about 10 to 15 years. And if you've got a baby at that point and you're saying, OK, I'm going to lose and then and then another baby like, OK, so the kids will be 15 and 16 when daddy loses his job. That's a really bad time for daddy to lose his job. You know, so yes, it was a exactly. case of like, um, you know, jump before you get pushed. Um, mm -hmm. so my wife and I kind of, uh, came up with this plan uh, when she, uh, she went back to work after our, our first child, we were just, I was going to quit my newspaper job and we were going to move to wherever she got a job and I was going to start banging out books. Um, and that's kind of what I did. And, you know, is I mean, doesn't that sound stupid? Like who quits a steady <laughs> job with healthcare to, to go write novels? Like had I known half of what writer. I know now. You know, like I would never have done anything that stupid, but um, you were very you know, innocent. It, 
I thank God. You know, like uh, I, I think Laura Lipman has a wonderful line. She says, you know, a, a writer starting out needs to have ignorance and arrogance, right? You need to be yes. ignorant of just yes. how hard it is to make it, and you need to be arrogant enough to think you can make it, right? Um, and, right. you know, had, had any of us, for, for, from 10 years later, could it, any of us go back and talk to our 10 years earlier self? You know, unless your name is David Baldacci, uh, you know, most likely you would be like, run away screaming, kid. Um, but, uh, you know, but here I am. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm obviously yeah, I'm making fun a little bit, but I, I, yeah. I am I am making a living as a, as an author. And um, and I'm very I'm proud of that. And and I because I know yeah. it's rare and I know it's hard and I know a lot of people try and can't do it. Um, and, you know, knock wood so far so good. I'm I'm there. And lucky for you, you decided, you know, you decided from a place of taking care of your family. Who knew if you were going to like writing fiction, right? So I'm glad well, I had been, yeah, I, I skipped this part of the story a little bit. Like I had already been writing fiction. Um, you know, oh, okay. So I had been, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I had been doing it, uh, you know, but, but always kind of, you know, in my spare time. So I wrote actually two novels, uh, sorry, three novels, uh, one of which the world will probably never read. Uh, but really, my, my first two published manuscripts, uh, I wrote while I was still a full-time reporter. Um, and then, and then we, we, the way it ended up working out is uh, we made this decision like, okay, I'm going to jump, I'm going to, you know, whatever. Um, while uh, well, gosh, I don't want to get into too much detail, but uh, basically we, we made the decision to sell the house. I was going to quit my job, and we were in the middle of that. Like literally the moving vans were like two weeks away from coming when my agent called me up and she said, hey, remember that novel you wrote? I'm like, yeah, what about it? You know, I, I'd already kind of written it off. She said, oh, I just sold it to St. Right. Martin's Press for a two-book contract. So like I was oh, quitting my, my job to become a novelist, and uh, lo and behold, I was a novelist. You know, but, uh, you know, so it, there you it, go. again, it it kind of worked out far better than I had any hope for it to work out. Um, and it made, it made me look like I really knew what I was doing, but in, in fact, I had no clue at all. <laughs> you know, there is nothing wrong with some serendipity coming your way. Sure. Sure. <laughs> well, we're rapidly running out of time, but before we go, how can readers get in touch with you? They love talking to authors that they that they enjoy. Are you on Facebook, Twitter? I, I told them to sign up for a newsletter on your website. Yes, thank you. So yes, uh, all of the above. So uh, my website is www.bradparksbooks.com. I am at Facebook on uh, facebook.com slash bradparksbooks. And Twitter, I am brad underscore parks. Or, you know what, Lisa, if people have gotten a half an hour into a podcast with us, I think I can just give out my email address. Uh, it is brad at bradparksbooks.com. And I always love to hear from readers, especially during a pandemic. Normally, this time of year, I would be striking out on book tour, which means I'd get to spend the next two or three weeks actually talking with readers and meeting with them and everything like that. And I'm, I'm feeling sort of deprived of that interaction right now. So I'm, I'm very much encouraging reader email at the moment. Yes, everyone email Brad. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here today and good luck with the book and uh thanks so much. Thanks for joining us Lisa. on Book Life. Great having you. Be sure to connect with us here. at com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.